Your greatest contribution may not be something you do, but someone you raise. Your greatest contribution to the world may not be something you do, but someone you raise, someone you influence. The question that we've been asking in this series is how do we pass down the faith so that 50 years from now, there will be followers of Jesus in this community because of Generations Church? At the end of the day, we are trusting Jesus to provide. We are trusting Jesus to work and build his church as he has promised. But how do we contribute? How do we step into partnership with God so that we, as we follow him together with Jesus, responding to his word and his spirit so that the next generation and the next generation come to know, trust, and follow Jesus, because of our efforts here. His name was Luke. He was in the church since he was in diapers. Um, parents planted a church, so he knew how to set up, how to tear down, where everything went, how everything went together. He knew how to run cable to run instruments from when, the time when he was like five or six years old. They put him to work, and he knew what to do. He knew, uh, he knew where a Bible was and how where that was supposed to go. And then it was interesting getting to know Luke because he was so familiar with the stand-up, sit-down, where things went, where people sat, where the preacher preached from, where instruments went. That when I started to get to know Luke in middle school, and started to have conversations about the purpose of the church and why he was a part of a church. So fascinating, some interesting conversations. And Luke one day asked me, and he's like, I know all the right things to do, but I can't seem to get anyone else to do them. When I talk to my friends, when I talk to people I know, and it just, they just don't seem to get it. What is wrong with me? It's fun because Luke and I started to get together over breakfast at Wendy's to just talk about, well, maybe nothing's really wrong with you, but let's talk about what we're trying to get people to do. Let's get a deeper understanding at the why. And it was funny because over a series of about a year and a half when Luke and I would eat breakfast at Wendy's, we start talking about the why. Charles mentioned a, a little bit ago, stand up, sit down, sing songs. Why do we do what we do? Is it because that's what a good person does? Is that because of what a moral person? Is that what a successful person does? Why do you come to church? Is it the destination that makes change, that brings out a good person? And it was fun because over conversation with Luke, he realized that the purpose of the church was to help people grow in their followership of Jesus, but it didn't produce change. And so Luke and I shifted his thinking, and what Luke realized is he said, I'm no longer going to try to get my friends to come to church. I'm going to take my faith to them. Amen. Today, Luke serves as a missionary, equipping others, to be sent to go to foreign countries, 
because he believes that the power of the church, that the power of faith was once you have received it, once you understand that's your identity, then you can move towards people. And he felt his role was to help others move towards people so that they can move towards Jesus. His name was Charlie. Charlie was influenced by Luke. He didn't have the, quite the same upbringing. In fact, he hated youth group. He thought it was a complete waste of time. He was very smart. He said, why would I just come to a place and hang out and play a bunch of games? That's dumb and a waste of time. I can do that at home. Seventh grade boy, Charlie was clearly very opinionated. But I got to know Charlie, and Charlie and his family had bounced around church to church a little bit. Charlie had a lot of questions. Some revolved around the why, but he was smart, so he knew the why. But he was kind of frustrated as to why, like, he didn't feel a change in his life. And then even when he could explain stuff to his friends, they just didn't seem to get it. And he was very confused. Having been influenced by Luke and taking some time to get to know Charlie and his story, started to ask questions about, well, what are your friends like? What are they most interested in? And over a series of conversations with Charlie, he realized that he was trying to get his friends to be just like him, think just like him, rather than take the time to find the inroads of opportunity to get to know them and their story. And so I said, Charlie, how might that change when you think about who your friends are and what they're most interested in? And maybe what gifts do you have to leverage those relationships? Well, Charlie thought, and we prayed, and it was always over a series of months. And what Charlie came to the conclusion was is he had a pool at his house. His house backed up to a neighborhood park. And what he realized is because he hated youth group, he wasn't sure if his friends would as well. But he knew he could get his friends to come over and hang out at the pool. And maybe they would be willing to go play ultimate frisbee in the park or soccer or whatever. And over a series of weeks, Charlie started doing that. And what happened is his friends got to know some of the other kids in the youth group because he blended the two groups. At his house, at the pool, events over the summer. And it eventually turned into an actual thing where we play Sunday night games in the park accessible in my first youth ministry. And what was so amazing is Charlie had three friends get baptized in that very pool because he decided to get creative with what he had. Look at the friends and the people of influence and say, how do I take my faith? How do what I'm learning and what Kyle was challenging me with and do something with my friends? But you see, there's both things. As Luke and Charlie were starting to dive deeper and ask serious questions and seek, and we would get together and meet. But then they also looked around them and saw people. His name was Donald. He traveled back and forth about an hour and a half between college and his hometown. He felt very torn and very confused because his church, his friends that he was trying to minister and disciple to, were at home, and yet he was away at college. 
And so we had these two very different worlds, and he didn't know how to reconcile them. Donald and I started spending some time together and praying and asking. And he realized that while he was in two places at once, he wasn't in two places at all. In fact, it wasn't that he went off to school and he was by himself and alone. And when he was at home with some of his friends and at home and where his church family was, that their God was with him. But it was actually that he realized that when he went away to school, that God was present with him there as well. And so we asked the question, what would it look like to believe that God was with you both at home when you felt close to God and when you were away at school where you kind of felt far away from God? And so we prayed and we talked. And he started reading, we started reading the Gospel of John together. And eventually what what Donald realized is he said, well, I'm at school for a reason and for a purpose, and I'm at home, and I want to minister to my friends, but I'm not always there. So maybe wherever I am, that's where I put my emphasis. And so while he was at school, he started praying, considering, and making new friends, and started a Bible study out of his dorm. And as he started a Bible study in his dorm room, reaching some college-age kids in the name of Jesus to read the Bible together, to pray, to seek the scriptures. What happened is his friends back home started asking questions. And his faith at school influenced his friends at home. So that when he came back, what came out of it, they all happened to like Yu-Gi-Oh!, So they started playing Yu-Gi-Oh strategically once a week together and inviting people who didn't know Jesus and said, together, we're going to try to be present with things that we have and we like with common interests and allow our actions and attitudes, allow our why to show and be shared in those settings. Today, Donald is one of the most um, charismatic and um, influential people in his community. The reason why is because he learned how to practice his faith with others, understanding the why and understanding that no matter where he was, God was going to use him for Jesus. His name is Dean. Dean had a hard job. He worked in a factory for 30 years. This same company had lost, he had lost his pension from, but he was hired back as a contractor. He struggled with his relationship with work and was very frustrated at times with his boss and with his coworkers. But he knew he was there and was hired back at the company, even though he had lost his pension and had been there for 30 years, displayed incredible amounts of loyalty. And said, if Jesus isn't going to let me go, then... I need to be where he has placed me. And so Dean made a small shift. Instead of begrudgingly getting up each day, going to work, loathing the people, he said, I need something to jumpstart my attitude in the middle of the day when the day gets tough. And so he took his Bible and he started reading. And his coworkers noticed. And before too long, after 30 years of Growing influence at a company. Company had lost this pension, bitterness, there was all kinds of strife. Dean suddenly became a unifying force 
because more people said, Dean, we see an action and an attitude change in you. We want that same thing for ourselves. And Dean started reading the Bible every day with a couple coworkers over his lunch break. Some of our stories at Generations are just like some of those individuals. See, the story of Generations is a, a one of people being invited to do something with God for others. Some of you know some of these stories, and some of you have joined uh, this story of Generations after in fact, it was a group of people saying, hey, we want to get together, celebrate life, and figure out how to be a blessing to our community. So we started something called Party in the Park. And we just got together in the parks around us, barbecued, played some kickball, mean game of kickball, competitive game of kickball, <laughs> danger, <laughs> but had a blast doing it. Spending time together. And wouldn't you know that one of our first party of the parks, someone saw that party and said, hey, you guys are doing something good in the community. You guys got a lot of kids. It was actually an Easter egg hunt. It was something we did right up here at Mount Vista. And some of you know this story that someone thought, that's so amazing that you guys did that. I'm going to go home and bring my donkey so the kids can come and pet. Someone was inspired by a community of people being present in the community doing something good. What's amazing is that story didn't stop. It continued. We recognized that there was a need at a certain period of time, and so we said, hey, we're going to do a generosity feeds event. We're going to pack 10,000 meals. We're going to come together and invite not just ourselves, but our community to come together and do something good to be a blessing to our community. And what was amazing is we had some people get connected to generations because of that. We had some people who took steps of faith and were inspired to actually go back to the churches that they had distanced themselves from and reconnect. We served as an inspiration for that, which is an amazing thing. But what's amazing is as we continue to seek the welfare, to do good things, when we were looking for a place to meet, when we called a bunch of people and said, hey, we want to gather together as a family, as a church community. When the American Legion finally returned my call and said, the reason we're going to allow you to meet rent-free in the facility for two years, all during COVID, was because they had heard stories of a people being present in a place, doing good work. And those stories, I don't share us as... Man, that, that's a part of our history. But in some ways, I want that to continue to be a part of our future. Amen. We must, as a community of people, continue to allow God's words to soak in our heart, to be so committed to him and together as a family that we are resilient and look around us and say, how can we be purposefully present? And maybe we continue to do party in the parks. We're going to do one this summer. 
And in fact, we need you to participate in that. Not because we're trying to pad our numbers or make some great event or get some big, but because we want people in a place to know the power and the love of Jesus in our community. And we can do that together. And so that's a part of our future. And so when we talk in this series about shifts from destination to direction, from sage to guide, from output to input, from form to function, in some ways that's what we are talking about. Amen. And the last shift that I've hoped I've described in each of the individuals is a shift from maturity to missionary. Now, I got some clarifying to do. Both of those words carry a lot of baggage. But the main call of the church is to develop missionary disciples. And when we do this, we will always get mature disciples. When I use the term missionary here, I'm not talking about training up overseas missionary, nor am I advocating that you ask everyone to quit their job and become full-time local pastors. What I'm saying in the word missionary here is a noun referring to people who see their primary vocation as being sent on God's mission rather than their own. God is at work in our community. He is at work in your lives. He is at work in the people in your, around you in the places, in your neighborhood, where you work. The call of the church is to wake up to that reality and say, how do we join God in doing what he is doing where he has placed us because he is already at work calling the world to himself, saying he, is, he loves people and he has sent you to be an ambassador of love in that place, awakening people Amen. to that love. And so we're talking about hoping everyday people understand that where God has placed you is for a mission. It's for God's ultimate mission to make his love and his way be known. Because we are distracted as people. We get caught up in the dysfunction and the brokenness. We get caught up in our own pursuits. We get caught up in lesser things and realize that God is at work to help us grow an attachment with him. And that out of that attachment with him, we can live an abundant life. So our first and foremost vocation is to go and make disciples, go and help others become better followers of Jesus of all nations while getting a paycheck from an employer. In other words, every plumber, poet, and police officer in our church has the same vocation, to live sent, to grow in their followership of Jesus. This is the mandate of the church. We say it at Generations, to expand God's family. That is the heartbeat. When we say we're a family, we don't mean we're an exclusive family and no one else is welcome. No, there's all kinds of orphans, maybe metaphorical or real, that we need adopting into God's family. The best of God's family. And our job is to embody God's family in such an attractive way that as we seek out those individuals, they say, that's a family that I want to be a part of. Because it's a family that changes Life, because it's the power and the presence of God. We are all sent on mission with God wherever we are and whatever we do for a living. In fact, Jesus tells his disciples at the end of his life after his resurrection, this in John chapter 20, verses 
20 and 21. Having said this, he showed them his hands and his side, so the disciples rejoiced when they saw him. They knew it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them again, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And after saying this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. He gives them the means by which the mission can be fulfilled. In Matthew chapter 22, when an expert of the law asked Jesus to identify the greatest commandment, Jesus replies by citing Deuteronomy 6, 5, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. Moving beyond this familiar Jewish command, Jesus adds the second greatest command that references Leviticus 19, 18, love your neighbor as yourself. For Jesus, the love of God and love of neighbor are inseparable. And so the obvious question that follows is, who is my neighbor? Thankfully, Jesus responds to this question with a famous parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. When a Jewish man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho is violently attacked, robbed, and left to die, two religious authorities, a priest and a Levite, see the man but pass by. The man's life is saved when a Samaritan traveler stops to help. Despite being an enemy of the Jews, the Samaritan bandages the stranger's wounds, takes him to an inn, and pays for his expense. Unlike the religious but aloof travelers, the Samaritan enacts true neighboring. Kara Powell in Growing Young says this, churches striving to be the best neighbors reflect this selfless mercy toward the people outside their congregations, whether those neighbors are friends, strangers, or enemies. They demonstrate compassion and forgiveness even when it is within their power to turn away or inflict harm. Churches that grow young, in other words, pass down the faith, practice mercy in a myriad of forms, in their service and social efforts, in their political engagement, in discussions about race and ethnic identity, and in response to pop culture. Doing so earns these churches a hearing in the culture that often otherwise dismisses them as judgmental or closed-minded. Church, we are a family of missionary disciples. We are sent by God to this world, not by our own strength or by our own power, but with his power. And that's confusing and disorienting when we seek our own ends when we seek comfort, approval, or power, when we seek to create for our lives something good that's apart from God's goodness. And the best goodness that we can find, the most satisfactory life that we can find is one that's in partnership with God, so attached to God that we just simply live and respond to his goodness. That we respond to the fact that he sent Jesus to us. See, the church finds its missionary nature in the sending nature of God. For just as the Father sent the Son into the world, just as the Son sent the Holy Spirit into this world, so now the Father, Son, and Spirit are sending the church into the world. Charles Spurgeon once said, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. You either try to spread, abound the kingdom of Christ, or else you do not love him at all. 
It cannot be that there is a high appreciation of Jesus and a totally silent tongue about him. When we live out of our core identity as loved children of God and enjoy his word, his way, we can't help but share that with others. We will then functionally act as missionaries. And in doing so, the Lord matures us. Because you know this, when you try to practice your faith in real time, you start to ask a different set of questions. And some of you have asked some of me these same set of questions. Because you start to ask things like, well, what does God's word say about? Or someone asked me a question about evil and suffering. Or I just lost a loved one. Or it's difficult in my job and I don't know what to do. When you realize you're there for a place or for a purpose, you start asking a question that's less about how you navigate it, but how do you navigate it so well that others see Jesus in the midst of those actions and attitudes? You start to ask a different set of questions. And for some of us, we need to ask a set of questions that help us for a time that is right and good. But if we only say self-centered, we miss out on in participating in God's goodness and in his nature within the world because our God is ascending God and he does that first and foremost in Jesus. And as we start to engage in that, you start to ask a different set of questions. What actions and attitudes are God honoring? What actions and attitudes are winsome? How do we engage in this political issue? How do we engage in this social justice issue? And you don't do it in such a way because you're trying to make your kingdom or get it right or because you do what's always been told or even some of what your parents have passed down. But you start asking, how is this embodied of the actions of the character and priority of Jesus where he has placed me? And those are a lot of questions. Some of you want me to answer those questions. Just tell me what to do, Kyle, and I'll do it. That's not the way that we've been invited into. In fact, I'm not always in your shoes, but when you are, when you are baptized into Jesus and the Holy Spirit resides in you, the one who can answer the question is the one who's seated on the throne of your heart and can give you the will and the way to walk in the way that you should go. Because when you engage with the word and the Holy Spirit reminds you of that word, or maybe even something I've said, or a brother or sister in Christ have said, then when you try to act that out, you start to mature. See, maturity is not ascending to know a bunch of things about God. But whatever level of obedience that you have come to know in awareness of the scripture of doing what you know, the level of maturity is not, do I have everything memorized? Level of maturity is whatever I have become aware of with God's will and his way that I act and respond in obedience in that moment. That is what maturity, and when you start to live sent, and then you start to practice your faith, that is when you will be challenged and you will grow to maturity. Just like a good parent shows their child maybe how to fix a sink, change a tire, read. You do it, and then you allow the child to practice and learn some basics. 
And then they do it, and you cheer them on for every good step along the way. And pretty soon, they can do it on their own without you watching over them. And then when you're not even there, when the car breaks down, they can hop out, get the jack, and change the tire. Or they can read later on. And the hope is that we as a church find our joy so deeply in Jesus and live sent within the world. That as we live sent, that as the word of God is written on our forehead, on our wrists, we talk about it when we lie down, when we stand up, we talk about it and communicate it publicly, that as we live sent, that other people will be exposed to and see God's will in God's way. See, when you try to grow just simply in head knowledge, true maturity does not happen. Maturity does not result in living as a missionary. Living your faith. Seeking God's will, seeking God's way. Going along the road with God for others. With a community of people. is sustainable. It's empowering. And you realize that together we can grow to maturity. And that's why it takes a multi-generational church to pass down the faith. It takes people doing it together with all different stories, backgrounds, and walks of life. So in order to be sent, we must develop. We must practice. We must do. But first, before we go, we must be reminded that God sent Jesus to us. And that allows us to keep going, to live sent, to live loved. And in doing so, that message, that will, that way will be attractive to your lost friends, to your lost family members, and even to the next generation. Because it's not about when to stand up, when to sit down, what songs we sing, how the preacher preaches, does he wear jeans or does he in a tie? But it's about people engaging with Jesus over the long haul together because he sent Jesus to us. So may we live and be sent, church, so that generations to come will know the name of the Lord and what he has done. Let me pray for us. God, you are good. May we be empowered and be sent. Help us to know your love and be reminded and encouraged and empowered that we can be creative, that we can seek others, because while we were still sinners, you died for us, that you sent Jesus to us. Holy Spirit, as we are here in this room, convict us, challenge us, change us, grow us, Empower us to be a people in a place so that others find peace and hope and the only thing that lasts for all eternity. God, we need you. Help us, guide us, lead us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 To remind us of that sentence, I always like to kind of pull behind the curtain. That's why we pray this final prayer together each week. 
For some, it's a comforting thing. For others, it's a motivating thing. Let's go ahead and get that prayer up on the screen. Most of all, it's to remind you that as you leave these doors, you enter the mission field. You enter a place where people need to see Jesus. May we do that well. And so you can say these words with me or you can just let them wash over you and know that as you pray this prayer out loud, you're not just praying this for yourself. You're praying this for others here to live their faith well. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Through this reality, may you live your faith every day, everywhere. May God's family expand and grow. May your motivation be because of Jesus living out his story. May you make his ways be known and then lived for generations to come. Amen. You are loved and sent. Have a great week.